0: Great Father, here we are before you, and we thank you that we can come and discuss your will for us, your will and how to establish different ministries. You have put a burden on our hearts, and perhaps it's a ministry that hasn't been established yet, perhaps it's, it's one that is more unusual, but you are here to guide us and to lead us, to, to learn of your word, and to experience you and allow you to, to guide us in our future. We ask for wisdom and, and truth now as we we're talking, and that you'd be with Kim as well, and, and bless him. And I ask these things in your mighty and holy name. Amen. 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 Thank you. The text I was looking for yesterday in Acts, um, you you will recognize the words as I read them, is the Apostle Paul. And uh, he's leaving his friends, and he says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them, all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's Acts 20. uh, Start with verse 32. And there's other text there that Paul... We could go to and read where Paul talked about how his hands, you know, worked and labored to supply his needs and the needs of his team that was with him. And he, he made it clear, I've coveted no man's silver or gold. And it ends with the words of Jesus, it's better to do what? Give. To give than to receive And it's interesting that that in a few places Paul mentions the financial aspect of how his work went, of how he labored. And we'll see as we go along that still today finances and how finances are perceived within the church family uh, is a very delicate matter. It's it's unfortunate, but it's, it's just part of the struggle in human nature that we have a very difficult time getting away from. And uh, it's not unique to supporting ministries and church enterprises. Uh, Some of you perhaps will know of a friend or a family member in which someone died and an inheritance was left. And the people receiving that inheritance become estranged from one another. And they go for years of not speaking, and it gets divisive. You know what I'm talking about? And it's deplorable. Okay, I mean, God doesn't, this amongst Seventh day Adventist Christians whom I know, this happens. And it's about money. Some got more, or some got less, and it wasn't fair, and it brings in divisiveness. And Paul chose, hey, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to. I'm going to labor. I'm going to work with my own hands. So yesterday, as we were closing, now Jan really needs to show up, man. (laughs) I hate for him to miss this. I was trying to share with you a sense of historically where the Seventh-day Adventist Church was at the turn of the century. The late 1880s, 1890s, early 1900s. We were told that Jesus could come. The outpouring of the latter rain had begun, and yet it got shut off. And we saw where, where uh, a group of people, Ellen White, A.T. Jones, Wagner, were going around preaching this message of Christ our righteousness, righteousness by faith, justification by faith. And, and it was being resisted by church leadership at large in the 1888 conference. that that took place. Another message was being pressed upon God's people, and that was the health message. It was building, it was growing, it was being demonstrated, and Kellogg was being used by God in a wonderful way. People from all over the world coming to be cured, to be cared for at the Battle Creek Sanitarium. It was becoming a preeminent institution, not simply for the church, but within the United States at large. Uh, God was, had something very specific for us. Ellen White was encouraging a concept of education again, that was being resisted primarily because it could not be perceived, it could not be understood. And, and all of us have been if, if I started speaking Portuguese, he, he, he might know some. If I started speaking Swahili, anybody here speak Swahili? If if I start speaking to you in a foreign language, you know, you just hey, or you speak to me in Norwegian. (laughs) Forget (laughs) about (laughs) it. Hi, hi. Talk. Beginning, the end. I don't, I don't know anymore. And so, communicating concepts is often like speaking a foreign language. We just very difficult for us to get. Jesus, when he told the disciples. You know, the Gentiles have a certain way of authority, but it's not going to be that way among you. He that is greatest among you, let him be servant of all. But still the question comes, when you come into your kingdom, you can one son be on your left? and one sit, you, you follow me? Yeah. yeah. Jesus is telling you, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be spit upon. I'm going to be crucified. Well, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, you know, I want to be right there. He was telling them things, but they couldn't hear it. It it, it, it was incomprehensible to them. And so often God has this problem with us. He's trying to give us a message, but we don't comprehend it. We don't hear it. And so there were these two characters I started to introduce you to called uh, E.A. Sutherland and P.T. McGann. Come in, come in. Thank you. Now, the reason I brought their names up Jan was wanting to know, what do these guys got to do with supporting ministries? Exactly. Here he comes, good. We need to get him a, an extra chair. He has a... I mentioned to you that McGann started his life at Battle Creek in Ellen White's home, and that a very intimate and affectionate relationship developed between McGann. And his understanding of the gospel was very much formed by his time with Ellen White and his understanding of righteousness by faith, his understanding of the great controversy. Now, it happened that a man named Stephen Haskell, have you heard of that name? No? He was one of our Adventist pioneers. He was asked to go by the General Conference on a tour around the world to look for mission stations where we could set up places where Seventh-day Adventist ministries could begin. As he was preparing for that, Ellen White suggested that he take... McGann with him. He so said, "Take this young boy Percy with you. And he can carry your suitcases and be your secretary." And he and so McGann went on this trip around the world with Haskell. Haskell actually stopped in Australia to visit with his sister, and Percy McGann arrived back in California. And he was the first Seventh Day Adventist to encircle the globe on behalf of God's work, on behalf of ministry. Uh, Ellen White wrote a book named *Christ Object Lessons*. Have you? Heard that book? She dedicated that book to the relieving of debt for our schools. Battle Creek was in heavy, heavy debt. And McGinn led the, the, the push of getting Christ Object Lessons out there to relieve the debt of the school and to get the book out into homes. And, and he was such a salesman, one night he sold ten copies of Christ Object Lessons to one guy got him to buy him 10 books. And after the guy had paid and again to become friends with him, he's going to leave and he says to the man, you know, really, what are you going to do with 10? The guy says, you're right. Take these nine, sell them to somebody else. He says, I can only read one. Okay. McGann was a very adept fundraiser. And, and later in life, I can tell you more of the, the things God used him to do. These two men came into Battle Creek and they started to lead that school. They plowed up the football field, they planted potatoes, they got a work program going, they got rid of sports. They started to implement what we call educational reforms because they were in communication with Ellen White and they grasped what she was saying and what happened, needed to happen in education. They knew that the school should never have been in Battle Creek. They knew it should have been outside in the country. So while they're in Batter Creek running the college, they're on their bicycles on the weekends, and they're going out into the countryside, and they're looking for land. Ellen White comes back to the United States from Australia. One morning, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning, she sends a messenger to get McGann. And she says, Percy, you boys, boys, okay? these are grown men, but you boys have been wanting to move to schools, and I told you to wait. Now I'm telling you to go. Things are going to happen in Battle Creek and this school needs to be out of here. Later that day, in the next couple days, they have the Lake Union session. And through the influence of Ellen White, the group agrees to allow Battle Creek to move. McGann and Sutherland had already had, had already had the school packed up into 17 boxcars okay, for a train. And as soon as that decision was made in that committee, they moved. Out to Berrien Springs, which is today where Andrews University is. Okay, now remember, we've got this was this was a very tumultuous time, a very affecting time in the Adventist Church because God wanted great things to happen. Now, when God wants great things to happen, what what else is on the table? Satan. Yeah, Satan, Lucifer. God always wants to counteract the work that God is seeking to establish. He doesn't want this message of righteousness by faith. He doesn't want the health message to encircle the globe. He doesn't want education reform to come in to the Adventist thought. and, and better. So they move the school. And they go out, and they start to build what is today at the location of Andrews University. And their idea is, we're going to build a simple school. We're going to use student labors to do it, and there's not going to be any heat in any of these buildings. That's Michigan. Not Norway, but... Plenty of cold and snow. And the idea was, we're training these young people to missionaries. And when they go out into the hard places of the world, things are not going to be easy. Let's not get them used to all the creature comforts of life. Let them participate now in their early formative years of sacrificing and in learning to endure hardship. They get the school going. About a year goes by. There's a Lake Union session. Kellogg is getting into pantheism. Kellogg has become an extremely prominent person, not simply in the Adventist church, but in the world. He's he's going on theologically. The resistance that the message of righteousness by faith has received from church leadership has has put a barrier between A.T. Jones and Wagner and church leaders. Sutherland McGann moved the school out of Battle Creek to Berrien Springs. Within a month after that happened, the group of people that voted it were unhappy with themselves. No, we need to have the school back here in Battle Creek. And so heavy criticism was coming to these men. They're out on the campus there at Andrews at, at Berrien Springs, and they're having their union session. Kellogg is addressing the delegation, very formidable man. Ellen White lets Kellogg know that she wants to speak. Kellogg bows, walks off the platform. Ellen White gets up and she tells a vision she had of a ship meeting an iceberg. Are any of you familiar with that, that vision? What happens when a ship meets an iceberg? Yeah, well, exactly, the Titanic. What happened to the Titanic when it hit an iceberg? Okay. Ships never win. Okay? but she shared her vision and she said one who cannot err the captain of the ship said meet it meet the iceberg the ship will not go down the iceberg was Kellogg okay he had more employees than the church had Mm -hmm. okay he it's tragic what happened here. God never intended that Kellogg would leave the church. The man was a mastermind. He was a genius. He was capable. He, uh, I wish we had a thousand Kelloggs in this church. okay? But at this setting, this is the, what she tells the delegation. She'd been laboring with Kellogg. She wrote him letters. She appealed. She pleaded with Kellogg. She loved him like a son. But she tells this group, we have to meet it. That same weekend, during the session, you got the Lake Union, you got Kellogg, you got Jones, you got Southern McGahn, and there's contention. She's trying to bring unity, and Ellen White faithfully rebukes each party where they're wrong. McGahn's wife had been sick for some time. People took a rumor to her after that meeting and went to her and said, Ellen White is against your husband. She's against Sutherland and McGann, your husband. She dies. That news and her condition was more than she could take. Friday, she dies. Sabbath, A.T. Jones is to speak. He gets up to preach and he can't. He's broken. He's just, he's emotionally, he can't, he can't preach. Ellen White gets up and she says, murder will be written after names of people in this congregation. Your lying tongues have cost the life of a mother and a good wife. imagine. Okay? I'm sharing it's a very emotionally charged experience. Think of what McGann's feeling. Sunday, Southern McGann resigned. They said, we're done. We don't want to fight anymore. It's been tough. It's tough enough. We don't need to be fighting with our brethren resigned from what from from, from from and from 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 Emmanuel Missionary College that was the name of the of the school now Andrews university they named it emmanuel missionary college they resigned as leaders of the college and said we're done ellen white is spares no words in speaking to the delegation so they repent and they start to appeal to southern them again to they reconsidered. We really want you guys here. We're sorry we gave you such a hard time. The third time. Their decision is made. That Well, later that week, John Harvey Kellogg's brother came to McGann. You ever heard of Kellogg cornflakes? Yeah. 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 Kellogg Cereals? Yeah, they're pretty much everywhere. Mammoth, Mammoth organization Company. He came and offered McGann shares in Kellogg's, if he would come join him at the food company. And McGann tells the story, he says, I remember talking it over with my maker up under the oak tree in Bering. And after I prayed about it, I decided I needed to commit my life to making Adventists and not making cornflakes. He says, had I gone there, I'd be a wealthy man today." He says, but, you know, that wasn't the work God had for me. Now, what does it have to do with self-supporting work? As a result of this experience, Southern McGinn left Michigan and went down to Tennessee. They wanted to get as far away from the organized church as they possibly could. They were tired. They didn't want to fight. They wanted to go off into the bush as far away as they could get and start a little school and be at peace. Ellen White hears about it, and she comes down, and she convinces them to start looking for land around Nashville, Tennessee, which is the capital of that state, and there, and that was where the Southern Union headquarters was. It's okay, like, hey, forget about it. You know, we don't even you know, they were headed off to North Carolina, up into the mountains, and she says, "No, this is where you need to be." Interesting enough. The president of the Southern Union, based in Nashville, is Stephen Haskell. Okay, someone who's a very close friend and, and positive with McGann. So they start looking for land, and uh, this is all in that book, God's Beautiful Farm. And Ellen White's son, Edson, had a riverboat. Okay, and you know what a riverboat is? It uh, has big old paddles and it goes up the river. And he had started to work for the for the African Americans. And Ellen White got Edson to to take them upstream to look for farms along the Cumberland River. They had looked at a farm, and Southern McGeehan didn't like it. It was all rocky and run down and had pigs, and and, uh, and they weren't interested. Well, the boat breaks down, so they got to pull to shore. And Ellen White says, well, you know, while we're here, let's go over to the Ferguson farm and look at it. And Sutherland's, forget it, I'm not going, I got no interest, that's, you know, it's too close to Nashville, it's run down, and so Ellen White gets him to go out there. And she says, God has shown me this place, in a vision, this is where you need to be. And they, Sutherland can't handle it, Ellen White leaves, and Sutherland starts to tell him again, listen, there is no way, this is not going to happen, and the man is in tears. And McGann says, you know what, Ed, we're in problems. We're at odds with the brethren because they're not listening to God's messenger. Are we going to listen to her? If God is with us, then we will be here and we will be successful. Ellen White encouraged them to purchase the land. They had no money. Southern went off, borrowed money from his aunt to put a down payment. The lady who owned the farm hated Yankees. You know what a Yankee is? New York? <laughs> someone from the North. This is after the Civil War. I mean, in the Civil War, the wounds are not healed. And the people in the South hate the people in the North because of the war. And she was not going to sell that house to any Yankee. And someone said, good, man, we're out of this one. We did our best. We followed what God says. This lady's not selling. And Almighty says, I don't want to hear that. You go back. And uh, so they negotiated to find the lady signed after a great turmoil. And that place became the home of the Madison School, okay? which was the first self-supporting school in the history of our church. Sutherland had already, while he was in education at Walla Walla and Battle Creek, had started church schools. <coughs> Sutherland is known in the Adventist world or in the Adventist archives as the father of church schools. Ellen White said, wherever there's a group of believers, we need to have a church school for our children. It is unsafe to send our children to public school. What is church school, really? Church schools. Yeah. The okay, churches supporting the schools. The churches were supporting the schools and Sutherland was providing the teachers. Okay, this was part of the educational vision that Ellen White had that Southern again, were catching. And, and especially in the future around Madison, around the southern part of the United States, they have more church schools even today than than any other part of the country. So they went down there, and they started this school. And the idea was it was a school where any student could come as long as they were willing to work. There was no tuition at Madison. It was a work-study program. The interesting thing was Sutherland, McGann, and all the teachers worked with the students every day. And when they got done their work, they would go in and they would have their classes. They had cows to milk. They had butter to churn. They had corn to hoe. Um, These men had blisters and calluses and weariness from a hard day's work. Their students participated in that work with them. It is the only school board that Ellen White ever became a member of. Okay, She was on the Madison board and she was on there because she wanted to lend her influence and her support to the work that they were doing because they were carrying out the educational program that God had been impressing her and and, and sharing with her. No. Out of this turmoil in the Advent movement, this is how supporting ministries, the first self-supporting school, began was it God's plan? I can't tell you that was his primary plan was it his plan that as a people at large we would have accepted righteousness by faith? I believe it was was it his plan that we would receive the health message and embrace it? I believe it was What is his plan that we would receive the educational reforms and the vision for education that Illinois had? I believe it was. But we did. Now, if we look back, what happened to Kellogg? Anybody know what happened to John Harvey Kellogg? Yeah, he basically came out of the church. and He apostatized. He left the church. Jones and Wagner, they left the church. Sutherland and McGann were one of the few that embraced the messages that God had and remained in the church. But they barely remained. You follow me? The temptation to separate was great. They couldn't leave the church. This was God's church. But it was because of res- resisting the work that God was doing that put them to the place they were they would have preferred to stay in Berrien and and push that educational work forward with the full support of the church in this time frame a couple more things happened when Ellen White told them it's time to get out of Battle Creek she knew something was going to happen The fires, the Adventist fires of the Sanitarium and the Review and Herald, if you go back and read the newspapers, it was obvious this was a judgment from God. They came with water, and they said, putting water on that Adventist fire is like putting on gasoline. Mm -hmm. Ellen White wrote a book named Steps to Christ. You ever heard that book? second most published book in the world. The Review and Herald refused to publish Steps to Christ. Why? It's full of righteousness by faith. When you understand the message of righteousness by faith and you read Steps to Christ, it's clear. This is the message. It was too full of that message and they refused to print it. The first publishing company to print it was called Rebel Publishing Company. She went to another publisher and had them publish it. Years later, the Review and Herald had to purchase the copyrights for Steps to Christ back so they could publish it. They wouldn't publish Steps to Christ. You know, in those days they made plates for printing. You know, you set up all the type and you make plates. The plates on the press a review and herald when it burned was The Living Temple by J. Harvey Kellogg. A book filled with pantheism. They went print steps to Christ. But when the fire started, Living Temple filled with pantheism was what was on the press. The sanitarium burned. Ellen White, when she got the news, She said, I've seen a fiery sword hanging over Battle Creek for months. She was heartbroken, but she knew it was coming. Now, as I shared yesterday, for us to think that we would have done differently is dangerous. For us to think that we would have been there and we would have done what is righteous or what is good, that's a dangerous thought to have. Because that's how all the Jews felt in the times of Jesus. They would have never treated God's prophets that way. No, they wouldn't have, but they crucified the Son of God. So would they have treated the prophets that way? Sure, they would have. Very, very um, important packed history in this era of God's people. So Southern began start this school work-study program. It is not looked upon with great credibility within the Adventist church. It's not looked upon with great credibility by anyone. It's just kind of a new school down there in the South. Well, within a a few short years, they begin to send out missionaries. The South was devastated by the Civil War. It was very poor. It was going to be a long comeback for the, for the states in the South to recover from the war. They sent their graduates out and they started little institutions. They called them satellites of Madison. And they would go out up into the hills and there would be a group of Seventh-day Adventists and they would begin a school elementary school, secondary school. They started their sanitarium. Uh, McGann remarried, and he married a doctor, and she became the doctor. And then Southern McGann both took their medical training in Nashville at Vanderbilt University. Ellen White told them early on they needed to have a sanitarium connected to the school. They started taking patients you know, long before the sanitarium was built, they started to ch- teach their, ch- their students in natural remedies in hydrotherapy and massage and medical sciences. And Madison produced, I don't know how many, you know, nurses out of, out of their training program. But they were a medical missionary training school. After a year, two years, whatever it was, other people go out, they would start small sanitariums and small schools, and that's how self-supporting work began. Now, a good friend of mine, his name's Edwin Martin, he went to Madison. He got his training. His wife went there. She got her training. And then uh, he started, he's still living, he started a a project. Elder for Z, WD for Z, you've heard that They started after the Madison School. When Edwin was a teenager, he dug the first foundations at Wildwood. His father sent Elder Prezeegh $300 a month to help get Wildwood going and operating. And some of the Madison students, graduates, are at at Wildwood. From Wildwood and, and other schools like Wildwood, Self-supporting schools as we know them today, that's where we have our history, that's where we have our origin. From the beginning, there was delicate relationships between the denominational leaders, employees, and the workers that were coming out of the Madison School. Okay, do you understand that? Ellen White was writing, telling the church leaders, you need to send money to Madison. You need to help. Madison will not become what it needs to become unless the finances are provided. And she appealed. The first summer that McGann and, and uh, Sutherland had left Battle Creek, McGann had already been scheduled to speak at a number of camp meetings. And he went out and he wrote. he raised thousands and thousands of dollars for the denomination. He said, I could have raised thousands of dollars for the Madison School. But I knew if I did that, there would be some that couldn't appreciate it. He said, so I chose to behave myself wisely. And every penny he raised at all those camp meetings went into the denominational work. He understood this dynamic was going to be problematic to To the relationship. Well, pretty soon, in the South, Southern McGann had more schools. The Madison had started more schools than all of them, really. They, 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 were, they were the only ones down there in the South training young people and putting them into active missionary service. Well, after a few years, Ellen White wrote, and she said, if many more were receiving similar training in other schools, we as a people would be a spectacle to angels, to the world, and to men, and Jesus would come soon. I have a question concerning this uh, this amount of schools. Uh, true education was still kind of a new message, right? Correct. That was not yet embraced by everybody. And if they have so many schools, how did they have the teachers for all these schools? Where did, no, did they, they come from? Good question. They taught them. Madison, Southern began trained their students. Their graduates went out and became the teachers in all these schools. And that's how that's how it happened. They were providing the, the, the training, they were providing the graduates, and they were providing the support system. They didn't just send, you know, a 22-year-old young person out there to start a school on their own. They would send them out there, and they would live with a church member's family, and they would start teaching... The children in the church school, but they had the support of the Madison team, the Madison family, and so that's how that's how it happened. Um, I have a question. So, means that also in this uh, area uh, of South? So, there, there were uh, new uh, new uh, churches coming up. Yes. Also. Yes. So it was like church planting with with uh, schools. And in, then you do a school. Yeah. So it was the church first, and then the school. Well, the tr- Usually it was, you know. But they would do they would do evangelism. They would do, you know, typical outreach. outreach work. A congregation would be raised, and then the children needed an education, and so it was it was something that went together. Okay. I mean, and if you read the book Education, or you read councils to councils to parents, teachers, and students, you know, many things Ellen White wrote on education. It was. Um. You know, in Europe, it's very different. I was happy to visit the, the union president here. There's 11 church schools in Norway. Wow. Okay? And that's a lot. In Portugal, there's two. Okay? Italy now, no. hmm? In Italy, no. Italy. They closed. They closed. Okay? It's, it's a... It's... It, it greatly... If af- I don't know how to say it, you know, because I'm American. And that's where I became a Seventh-day Adventist. And, and that's what I became familiar with. It would never have entered my mind for our children to go to a public school. Okay, that would never be an option. Now we were in Africa, so we homeschooled our children, which I think is a very good option, even if you do live in America. But, but um, as I've served in other countries around the world, it's a very strange. My best friend in Portugal, you know, dear close friend, you know, he just sends his kids to school, uh, and I just cringe. I mean, to, to me, that would be an unthinkable thing uh, to send my child to a public school. Now, I realize other people don't have the options that I have. But when you read what Ellen Wright says about education, you can appreciate why she wanted to protect the children and and to give them a Christian, godly education because what's taught in the world is, is totally against that. You know, I grew up in public school. They teach evolution. Okay, that's what I believed until I was 18 years old. I was, it wasn't taught as a theory. It was taught as this, this is how it is. And my mother, you know, she affirmed that's how it is. And, and so it's a very godless education that leads you away from God rather than to God. And Ellen White saw that coming, and she just, you know, uh, had a great burden that wherever there were a couple Adventist families start even if there's 3 4 5 children start a school so it would be basically one person teaching all grades yeah yeah and all subjects next. right now because it was a missionary training school the graduates from Madison were not thinking they're going to go out and make money they were prepared to go and work for very little give them a room to sleep in give them food to eat and they would teach your children you know give them an allowance but what it was, it was a calling from God. God had a work for them to do to fill this need, and it was ministry. It wasn't, I'm doing this because I get a paycheck. Okay? It wasn't, that was not the concept. McGann and Sutherland's idea of education was everyone is a missionary. Everyone that comes to Barren Springs, the Emmanuel Missionary College, when they started it, you're a missionary carpenter, you're a missionary nurse, you're a missionary mechanic, but whatever you are, you are primarily a missionary, and whatever tool you get, that's what you use to be a missionary, okay? That was the that was the focal point. That was the emphasis. They weren't into training young people to have employment. That is not what it was about. They were training young people as workers Forgot. So, but they were they teaching different professions? Sure. Um, yeah, they would teach you. You could be a teacher. You could be a nurse. You could be a mechanic. You could be a carpenter. You, you, you could be a farmer. At one school? Hmm. You could all that learn at one school. On at Madison, this is what. Simple. Yeah, they did. For what age? This well, these thing? were these were, I would say, from eighteen up. You know, eighteen to thirty. They they were. And they no. were trained to uh, you know, establish such uh, ministries or work in existing? Or, uh... Well, Madison was the only school. There were no other ministries of this type. Okay, So if they were going to go to another ministry, it was when they were starting. Okay, Because there, were, there was no... But you see, you have to understand that the need in the South was so great, there was no money. The economy was devastated people were poor. They couldn't have afforded to come to Madison if Madison charged tuition. It couldn't happen. And so it was, they were pressed financially. To make a school self-supporting is not easy, let me tell you. Yeah, some of you will learn by experience in the future, but, but it, it is a very challenging endeavor to have a school be self-supporting. To actually work, sell, generate money, And pay your bills. And how did they support them? From the farm? They had a dairy. Okay. They had cows. They milked. They had chickens. They sold eggs. They made butter. They, you know, and eventually, as they got going, they grew crops. Um, Interesting enough, there's a whole herd of pigs on the farm when they bought them. (laughs) And I thought, well, this is this is. uh, (laughs) What do you do with these? You know, (laughs) and uh, so. (laughs) Aunt, Mother Julia, you know, she was a business lady, and she loaned them money, and she came on board, and, and she drove those pigs to the market. You know, she was not gonna worry about selling you know, They didn't make it an in industry. Don't get me wrong. You know, but, you know, she was that was part of the farm, that was part of the asset, and and she put her rest of her life in there. And later, she told her nephew why. She, she was a business lady. She, she had good skills. And uh, she had money. Not a lot. But she, she loaned them the down payment for Madison. And uh, later she told them, the reason I signed up with you boys was when Ellen White came, she told me that if I would join you, God would bless my latter years more than my first years. <laughs> and she says, that was good enough for me. And she joined them. She was their business manager. She was a good business manager. Um, but they practiced strict, Economy, something that that I don't want us to be prejudiced, but it's something today we don't know anything about. So they sold the pigs. They sold the pigs. She sold oh, the she people. sold them. Sure, <laughs> she sold them. No way she was gonna. I might have struggled. She didn't struggle. <laughs> you get your money and, and pay your bills. So, uh, but this, go ahead, question. Just briefly. so, as a student, you could go there and choose which aspect of education mm-hmm. receives right. You would learn what you, you know, many okay, young yeah, people you, Yeah, you had to, okay? But in fairness, it was an attractive opportunity. As a young person, there's no employment. The economy is depressed, okay? You're going to stay home and work on the farm and hope to get something. Am I right? I mean, I don't know. Did they already have issues with, um, you know... Degrees and stuff, you know, being accredited. Not at that point in time. Okay. Okay. Now, now, interesting. But, but my question on this topic is: uh, You said if they were training people to whatever work and to be missionary in the work. It means that if there were no yet s- missionary schools, right? The teachers that were trained to be teachers, they were going to teach in the United States. That's right.
1: No, they were going to teach in these church schools.
0: Oh. That they they started uh, working in public schools, right? They didn't. No. No. Okay, but Madison would give a certificate. Okay. Okay. Now, the the system of accreditation or the system of giving licenses was very um, not enforced, not not in application. Let me say, okay most of the children in the South were unschooled. There weren't that many public schools. There weren't opportunities. And so if you learn to read and write and you can add and subtract and, and you've done two years, well, you're fully qualified to go out to this community where even the adults can't read or write. Yep. You follow me? And so they didn't have the level of education we may think of today, but the level of education they had exceeded the norm, the normal education or level of education that was in the communities they were serving. You follow? And so by comparison, they had good tools. And I don't want to say they were they were they were um, low. I don't I don't imply that at all. It's just there was not they did not have to reach a state board. Today if you want to be a teacher in the United States you have state boards that you have to pass. Okay? This is long, long before that. If today we would like to do something like that, we have to reach that state. Or, well, correct, uh, correct, you do. If you want to train teachers to be teachers, I, I don't, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. But it wasn't that Southern began were uneducated. Okay, yeah. they were the premier educators in the Adventist Church. Mm-hmm. Sutherland had already started Walla Walla College and done a good job pioneering it and getting it established. He'd been the president of Battle Creek. It wasn't that these men didn't have the capacity or the you know, tools to do what they were doing. But their vision, again, was not to get teachers, get them accredited, and get them jobs in the public school system. That was not the vision. The vision was to supply Christian education to our children. Ten minutes. Um, this phenomenon caught the attention of the President's wife of the United States. And she went down to Madison and she spent time there to see the type of program and then she wrote about it. People were amazed at what was happening at the Madison School. Not church members, not Christians, but people in the society, in the world of the American society and Eleanor Roosevelt wrote an article on Madison and and we could find that article for you. It's It's quite interesting, very, very complimentary article about the training being given at the Madison School. The sanitarium became very well appreciated and attended. McGann and Sutherland both went out and they got their doctors, they became medical doctors so that they could operate the sanitarium on an appropriate level, let me say. okay, They didn't want to do things in a crude way or in a rude way <coughs> but in a, an appropriate way. Yeah, so, like for for us today, we should also, in a sense, uh, do things in a proper way, like not, right. Right, not, not try to. Right. Uh, yeah. I would agree. I would agree. You know, t- I, I understand greatly that times have changed since the 1900s. I mean, we're you know 115 years later down the road, but I think core principles mm-hmm. of what happened with Madison. Why the Madison experience even came is true today. Uh, for some reason, you will find that the s- supporting ministries, the self-supporting schools, still believe that Ellen White wrote material that's valuable. Okay, they will study Ellen White's writings, will study of the great controversy and desire of ages, and, and gain from the wisdom that God has there. Okay, For some reason, the schools that came out of the Madison order still hold to some educational reforms and concepts of education that God intended that we should have as a people. You can go to some Adventist schools where people will tell you, you know, Ellen White was not a prophet. They won't encourage you to read or write Imagine and what was were doing something like in this time. <laughs> of course we already have such a ministries, so we don't need to establish the first one in that means. But we are in the end times, so we still have to provide people to be able to be independent mm-hmm. because we know sooner or later power will come and We need to know what what would have been according to your opinion you to Well, you know, I, I that's I mean, they were teaching. They were teaching the, the teachers, nurses, you things like But this is not really the kind of work that helped you to be Sure, excited. sure. Well, they they trained mechanics. They trained carpenters. They trained stonemasons. Okay, you learned to build at Madison. You learned to work with your hands. You go out and build houses. Hmm. You go out and build roads. You could, you know, you could teach. You could, you could be a tailor. You could. The idea isn't so much do the vocation that you have gifts for. If you're good at graphic design, do graphic design, okay? Um, Or you're good at technical support. I mean, these are just tools. These are um, trades, as it were, okay? Uh, We don't fix saddles anymore. You know, saddle, you know, horses and saddles. We don't fix those things anymore. It's not a big market, okay? But tires on cars or engines or... You know, computers. We're gonna, we're, we're, we are gonna have to close. But tomorrow, now that we've kind of almost got up to current history, you know, 1900s, um, we kind of want to look at what happened after Madison, what ministries are out there, and then the conflicts that will inevitably come as you start or work with a supporting ministry. Okay, I, just a little bit. I've been here just today. You know. Um, the, the conflicts that, that are with us. Okay? Even here, right now, because of this convention, there's conflict. Some people don't like it. Some people would rather see it shut down than for it to happen. And there's some people thinking, how can we stop this from happening in the future? Okay? And so it's real. It's a very real thing. And, and it's important how we navigate conflict. We can either increase it, or we can decrease it. We can create, you know, distance, or we can build bridges. Yeah, just just, just on that point, it was actually very uncertain that this convention would be actually this year because, uh, yeah, basically the uh, and the reason why it's called Asia Scandinavia and not in fact impacts Scandinavia was it's also, as you say, because of this conflict. Yes. Okay. And it's very challenging. It's and, and we need God's wisdom and we need the Holy Spirit to guide us as we navigate these things. And we can learn. Again, we can learn from the past. We can learn from ministries that have gone before us um, in this. And you will see that how ASI, tomorrow we'll talk a bit about how ASI was started. ASI didn't stand for what it does today. ASI stood for Adventist Self-Supporting Institution the first president was E.A. Sutherland. okay? Because so many schools started out of Madison, so much self-supporting work began, that the church recognized, we got to have a bridge here. We, we can't just be in conflict. We have to find a way for us to use our energies and, you know, our work for God together. ASI has changed greatly over the years. but Okay, I think our time is right on? Um, pretty much. There's actually three minutes left on my clock. <laughs> yes. yeah. So it's... Uh, wow, three minutes. Yeah, question. yeah. Uh, <laughs> how would you, nowadays, as you said, that classes are even here and we have to move bridges and not get bigger distances? I would suggest to build bridges today in the society where we are. Yeah, church, sure. In the are. church where we are, <laughs> because uh, the church is, is breaking itself apart. So. I'll give you a partial answer from my own experience. Something I learned: um, we lived 15 years in Africa, in self-supporting work. I have been in this work since I was baptized. Okay, i spent very. Little, I'm 57 now. Okay, so nineteen, fifty-seven. <laughs> basically all my adult life and all my Christian life has been in ministries. When we went from Africa back to the United States, we ended up, to be vice president of OCI, we were in a local church that did not appreciate self-supporting work. They did not. And the reason was because they had been beat up by these people in self-supporting institutions. The people from this self-supporting school would go to the local church to do missionary work, to convert the church members, you think. Well, you know, that type of attitude does not produce healthy relationships. So when we got there, we were not, you know, they didn't tell you, you're not welcome here, okay, but you could feel the resistance. My wife homeschooled our children. My wife's not a teacher. Okay? But she homeschooled our children. And I always encouraged her, the children would be fine. She wasn't sure, you know, because she didn't know she was <laughs> smart enough to teach these kids. And the leader of the church gets up. They wanted our son in, in the church school. My son didn't want to go to church school. He wanted to continue to be homeschooled. They didn't like that. And so the strongest personality, strongest leader in that local congregation got up and in church with everybody and said, homeschooling should be outlawed. Should be? Should be against the law, essentially. Okay? Homeschooled kids, they don't learn, they don't get to the standard, That socially they don't develop skills, they end up to be, you know, strange children. And my wife is sitting there, you know, you know, just it's not she's a very sensitive person and it's not it's not difficult to make her feel bad or to make her feel inferior and this is what we're facing but why would you go to church school why yeah well my son didn't want to go he wanted to homeschool <laughs> okay okay i mean <laughs> I, I you know i believe you know i think he's very good with this but, but anyway the key in answer to your response was There's something i learned, and we all know it. It's in Ministry of Healing, page 143. Christ's methods alone will give true success in reaching the people. He mingled with them as one who desired their good. He ministered to their needs. He showed his sympathy. And I realized that's what I have to do in this church. That's what we need to do. We need to mingle with our church members, these people who are new to us, as one who desires their good. And we followed that. Within a year, I was on the church school board. Okay. The lady who had gotten up front and just, you know, just beating after beating, we became friends. And then those kids. And, and I was able, I couldn't go to church, no, my son. One, one eventually did, one didn't. But I was able to, you know, through working with the congregation, we took that church school on a mission trip to South America. That was something they would never have dreamed of doing. If you had asked them the year before, is that possible? They were so against us. Okay? But that was one personal experience. And I won't solve everybody's problem, but I would say in principle, it's to follow that. We have to be loving, we have to be kind, we have to be considerate. Um, But that's not all we have to be. We have to be those things. And I I shared that upstairs yesterday, um, that we have to have that. But there's other qualifications that we need to have as well. So it's time to go. Let's let's just pray together. stand. Father in heaven we thank you for how you have led in the past we thank you that you have your servants in every age in every time we thank you that uh, you called Ellen and James White and Southern McGann and Kellogg and Jones and many many others thousands of others but Lord we believe that you have a great desire to return to this world to redeem humanity and redeem your children I pray that as you send us messages, as you seek to do a work, that we will not allow as your people to let Satan come in and to hold back the work that you want to do. May our hearts be open to your spirit, to your guidance. May you show each one of us here the work you have for us to do. May you give us the spirit of love, of humility, to go forward with what you place in our hands. I ask a blessing on each one here this evening. May you draw close to them. May you strengthen them. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www. Dot audioverse.org.